Glory to God. What great music. God is good all the time. I say that in part on behalf of my friend Julia Smith, who's gone to be with the Lord. And we went for her funeral on Friday uh, up to Dallas. And um, the pastor really built uh, the message around God is good all the time because she took that with her uh, to Dallas. And I dare say God has never been more good to her than he is right now as she is in his presence while I was there, I had the chance to spend some time with uh, my mom, uh, which is a good thing. I've told you, I'm still working on family. Um, I hope you are as well. And it was good just to take her out to eat and to spend some time with her. And it's interesting because she's moved to a new place, um, to an independent living. Um, and so a lot of the same things that she had when I was a kid, she still has the Hummels and the little um, dolls and things that she's collected through the years, but they're in different places now and you know if you grew up in the air force it's hard to get attached to a particular place because you're always moving to a new place but um i wonder if you remember the place where you first were aware of the presence of god where you first knew he's here he's in this place i um uh, on our journey to Africa, stopped for a day in Germany, and uh, four of us traveled down to the little town of Strollbach near the French border, where um, my family first lived when we moved to Germany. And uh, it's an interesting little village. It's still just a little village with a, a long hill going out of town, and and uh, we used to walk up that hill at night with our basset hound, and we used to ride down that hill when it snowed on our sleds. So it has uh, some memories for me. But we found um, uh, on the street that I grew up on, house number 10, and there on the third floor of that house, I remember one night my mother was washing dishes, and I said to her, so how do I become a Christian? And she began to explain that to me, and I, I prayed that night to receive Christ as my Savior. And then we stopped by the church where I was baptized, and there were people there. There was an American choir there getting ready for a July 4th performance, and uh, it was good just to see that church still alive and well, Faith Baptist Church there. And then we drove to Gros Guerau, uh, where I lived as a teenager, and, um, and we found uh, the Italian ice cream place is still there, which is a good thing. Uh, and, uh, and then uh, we found the apartment where my family lived, and it was there on that third floor apartment that um, God made himself so real to me in his word that I heard his call to preach and I answered that call and chose to follow him. And as we were walking through these villages and driving around, it, it occurred to me that a lot of life goes on there. Babies are born and people get married and, and people die and people go to work and they buy and they shop. And yet, at some level, those places are, for me, holy ground. Those are places where I encountered God. I felt as though I, I might need to take off my shoes because somehow my family crossed the Atlantic Ocean and to my overwhelming joy, God found me even there. Where did God find you? For Jacob, that place was Bethel. We saw some weeks ago, he said, how awesome is this place? It must be the place. There's something about this place. 
But now he's been on a journey to Padan Aram and he's come back and encountered God at the river Jabbok. And what he has discovered is that no matter where he goes, God is there. Would you open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 35? I want us to go back to Bethel today, go home to him. So I want to read you the first seven verses of Genesis chapter 35. Let's stand together as we read God's word and prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. The word of the Lord says in Genesis 35 verse 1, Then God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I've gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears and Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Then they set out, and the terror of God fell upon the towns all around them, so that no one pursued them. Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar, and he called the place El Bethel, because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts Be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So Jacob has traveled far and wide and... He has encountered God and made peace with God coming into the land. We saw last week he made peace with his brother, which is sometimes harder than making peace with God. But he's got that relationship right. And then chapter 34 is just a debacle. Uh, his daughter is, is harmed grievously. And two of his sons, Levi and Simeon, become very angry. And they decimate an entire city, kill all the men in the city. And, and when their father confronts them about it, and perhaps he should have confronted them before they did it. But when he does, they say, well, they shouldn't have treated our sister that way. They justify their own behavior. And it's at that moment that God says... You need to come home to Bethel and you need to bring your family with you because Jacob's life has been a mess periodically. But at this point, his family is a giant mess. There are all kinds of problems. And the answer for Jacob and his family is for Jacob to get back to God, to come back to him. And the only way he knows how to do that is to go back to the place called Bethel, the house of God, that place where God had first encountered him. And he goes up there in obedience to God. But along the way, he says to his family, you got to get rid of your gods. You can't bring your gods into the presence of the the real God. It it doesn't work that way. You got to get rid of your gods. And then you've got to give yourself to him. And he builds an altar there and he encounters God again. And we see later in this chapter that God speaks to him again. And and God reaffirms that his name is Israel, that, that he is one who will prevail with God. And he becomes um, more real to Jacob than ever before. But notice this. This time Jacob doesn't come alone. He brings his family 
with him home to God in hopes that they too will encounter the God who has encountered him there. Now Jacob knows enough that God's been with him the whole time, but he has this sense that if they can remember that, that holy history, this is the place where I first committed my life to God, that maybe they will commit their lives to God as well. So where is that holy place for you where you know you can always go and encounter God? I have a friend who prays in his closet. He takes Jesus very literally on that. He has a a sort of prayer area set up in his closet, and he meets God there every day. Some of us would say a holy place for us is coming to this table because whenever we come to this table, we have a deep sense of God's love, his forgiveness, his power to transform us, and his continuing work in our lives. The question is, if we're going to come home to him, how do we prepare ourselves for that? For that matter, how do we prepare ourselves to come to the Lord's table? Because we dare not do this um, flippantly. How do we do it? Well, I like what Jacob says to his family. He says, get rid of all your gods. Get rid of every competing idol that might draw your affection and your attention away from God himself. Get rid of all your gods. Is anybody else here surprised that Jacob's family still has gods? We can go back to chapter 31, verse 19, and find Rachel stealing her father's household God. She's like, I'm okay with going to your home, Jacob, but I've got to bring my gods with me because my gods make me feel more comfortable. I need them with me. This is the way she worships. And maybe in the decimation of Shechem, his sons have picked up other idols from that city, trinkets, and even their earrings may be tributes to various gods of that culture because idolatry was everywhere in that world. And I dare say it still is. Whatever it is that you and I give our attention and our affection and our devotion and our time and our energy to has the potential to supplant God in our lives. It has the potential to become more important to us than God. It can be a relationship with a person. It can be status. It can be our work. It can be possessions. It can be Pleasure. A recent study by USA Today asked college students, what is the most important thing to you? Interestingly, it wasn't alcohol. It wasn't pleasure. It wasn't money. What they wanted more than anything was the praise and approval of other people. Even that can become an idol to us. What we what people think about us, our own self-image, our own narcissistic view of our lives can become more important than God. And Gardner Taylor says, worship is when we bring the gods we have made into the presence of the God who made us. So can I, in the spirit of Jacob, appeal to you today, if there is some God that is more important to you than the one true God, by all means, jettison that God right now Get rid of that devotion, that idol, that which is most important to you, even more important to God. Lay that aside. And why Jacob understands, he says, look, you can't bring your gods into the presence of the real God because the real God is the one who's everywhere. 
Everywhere we go, he's there. He's the one who answered me in my distress. He's the God who answers prayer. They asked Evie Hill to pray at a community prayer gathering. They said, we want you to kind of pray a generic prayer. He said, define your terms. They said, well, we just don't want you to talk about Jesus. And he said, well, let me just say, I'm glad you asked me to pray. And I'd love to pray at your gathering. And I know you may have people of all different faiths. And they may pray in their own way. But if I come, I need to pray in my way. And they said, why is that so important to you? He said, because if I'm going to pray, I want to pray to the God who actually is not the God who isn't. I want to pray to the God who actually can, not to the God who can't. So bring whoever you want, but if you want me to pray, and I'll understand if you don't want me to pray, but if you want me to pray, let me pray in the name of the one who has the power to make a difference. Jacob has called upon God and God has answered him, and that's why Jacob is no longer interested in a God who's small enough that he can carry him with him. He wants to worship a God who's so big that that God carries him with him. How big is your God? Is he the kind of God that you can sort of put on the shelf and pull off when you need him? Or is he great enough that the whole universe was created by his hands? And if that were not enough, when the universe went awry, he sent his only son to redeem us to himself. This is the God we serve. No wonder we wouldn't bring our little idols into his presence. It would be embarrassing. You you, you remember when, when the... When the, the Ark of the Covenant was captured and the Philistines tried to put it in their, in their little temple with their God Dagon and their God embarrassingly kept falling on his face in front of the Ark of the Covenant. He couldn't stand in that presence. And I don't know what our idols are. I just know that they don't compare to the incomparable God that we serve. Get rid of your idols. By all means, lay them down. Because when you give away your idols. They buried them under an oak tree. Then you can give yourself fully and wholeheartedly to God. Look at verse one where he says, go up to Bethel. Enough of your skirmishes with the Canaanites around you. You were made from more than this. Come home to me, God says. Come home. And by the way, verse six, verse seven, bring your family with you home to me. And Jacob's faith has become contagious and he wants his kids to catch it. They need to catch it. Whatever else happens to them, if they're successful, if they someday and their descendants inherit the whole land, but they miss God, they will have missed it all. And so he wants them. We were in Zambia last week and we were at Victoria Falls and there's a statue there to David Livingston, the missionary who left Great Britain to go over there. Amazing story how he... Uh, helped transform a people's heart for God. Um, American, Americans sent um, a news reporter over there to find him when he was lost for a period of time, Henry Stanley, who encountered Livingston there and said the, the famous quote, Livingston, I presume. Well, Livingston um, was with Stanley for a period of time. Stanley went back home to America. They said, how was it? He said, I became a Christian while I was there. They said, really, did did Livingston lead you to Christ? He said he did, but he didn't know that he did. Nobody could be around Livingston for long without coming to believe in the Christ that he served. There's a sense in which 
Livingston's faith drew Stanley in. Jacob's faith draws his family in. We want that kind of faith. We go up. He says, settle there for a while. In verse 1, just settle there. You, You can't do worship in a hurry. It takes time to divest yourself of all other interests and to, and to focus your attention on God. Settle there, he says. Feeler, um, Bruce Feeler wrote a book in which he described a family that recently transplanted from New York City back to the actual area of Bethel where Jacob worshipped. And they said the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob was there. And so we need to go there because we also believe in that God. Who is the God that we believe in? Who is the God to whom we give our attention and our affection and our devotion? He says, go up and settle there and build an altar there. And we may presume he offered a sacrifice. Back in chapter 28, he promised, I'll give you one-tenth of everything you give to me. If you'll just go with me, And make me successful, I'll give you one-tenth. I don't know. I mean, if you look at the army of animals that he sent to greet his brother Esau, I wonder just how many animals he sacrificed on that altar. But at one level, what's more important than, than the animals? He doesn't have the law yet, remember. He doesn't have the prescriptions of Leviticus about what to do and when to do it. All he knows is God has given him life, and he must give his life to God. So there is no worship without sacrifice. There is no worship that that costs us nothing. We offer God more than just our stuff. We offer him ourselves. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I urge you, therefore, my brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices to God. And the problem with living sacrifices, as Amy Carmichael said, is we're always climbing off the altar How do we give ourselves to God fully? Our sacrifices are always incomplete. Hebrews chapter 13 says, offer God the sacrifice of praise. Be careful to do good to others because God is pleased with such sacrifices, but our best sacrifices can be self-interested. But there is a sacrifice. There was a death that atoned for all of our sins. So we as Christians come together to worship and we come to this table And we remember that it was Christ's body that was broken. It was Christ's blood that was shed for us so that we might be redeemed, so that we might be drawn near to God. For this, he gave his life. So get rid of your your idols. And as we come to this table, give yourselves fully to the God who gave all of his all for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your powerful love, your grace, Lord, that is greater than all our sin. Forgive us, Father, for our failures. For some of us, this has been a good week, and for some of us, this has been a very hard week. But I thank you that regardless, you are our God, and we are your children And you are most our Father when we most need your love and forgiveness and correction. So draw us near, Lord. Show us our idols and help us to put them aside. And help us as best we can to come home to you. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
as we come to this table this morning, we remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he said, this is my body, which is for you. And then he took the cup and said, this is my blood, the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you.